because we're talking about belonging today, not about women in ministry or crying. But um, what does it take for you to feel like you belong? That's a question that I'm just, I, I really want to hear from you. It, I, I think we all know a time where we haven't belonged, where we're like, uh, I don't belong there, or I'm feeling weird, I don't fit in, whatever that case would be. But what does it take for you to feel like you belong? Anybody? People know your name. Being known. It's a big deal. Sometimes it's just language. When I, whenever I say, um, whenever the video was talking about different pastors, if you didn't know who those pastors were, the language was a little off, right? So it didn't make you feel like you were in on the inside joke. Sometimes it's language. Anything else? Relationships. Relationships. Okay. That's, a, that's good. Obviously, relationship, if you feel like you're in a relationship with someone, it makes you feel like you belong. Because this video, you guys, it's painful, right? Because it's true. <laughs> like, it's only funny because it's true. You, you've tried to bring people to this church and try to think, how do they belong? Where, where are they going to belong? What is the thing that you're going to sell to them about Lakeland? What is the thing that they're going to agree with? They're going to, oh, there's a female pastor. Or whatever the issue would be. We're all thinking about how to get people to belong because we all want to be on mission together. Or maybe you're new and you're thinking, I don't know if I fit in here. These guys are kind of weird, right? They're doing those mad movies and all that stuff. So you're, it's time to think about it. It's a good topic to think about, guys. It's not only important for us to think about belonging as a church, but we're thinking about it more than we even think about because it's inundating us in the media, right? We're hearing messages every time we either get on social media or we get turn on the news about who belongs and who doesn't. Yeah? And we're forced to think, okay, if we agree with this person or disagree with this person, then we're saying something about who belongs. And that's really, really important because all of us have felt that pain and the sting of not belonging in a situation. And we don't ever want that for someone else, much less the people that we love. And we're seeing our kids grow up. If you're a parent, I know lots of my peers are sending their kids off to college now. And they're wanting their kids to get the right messages about who belongs and who doesn't. Because we're, we're entering a phase of, like, unprecedented amounts of loneliness and suicide rates are up. There's just all kinds of things going on that we know belonging cures. We know that a sense of belonging helps. I guess nobody's going to move up. <laughs> it's okay. First, oh, first service did. They're calling you out. No. So this is important. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to kind of put some cards out on the table today. Not all because I don't have a whole lot of time. I've been here 20 years. It's not going to all fit in the next 20 minutes. But I'm going to put some cards on the table. I'm going to let you know. In the 20 years that I've been here, I, what I'm going to talk about today is, about, is more descriptive than prescriptive. I'm not telling you this is how it should be when it comes to belonging. I'm just telling you how it is. It just is this way. This is how groups work. This is what, think, what we do. We have patterns. We have you know, ways of being that just ha- end up happening. So when I talk about belonging today, I'm being more descriptive than prescriptive, but hopefully you're going to have some prescriptives too. Um, the cards out on the table part, yeah? So 
a, a story to start us off with. I had a very bad day one time, and I think it was about 10 years ago, where I got two emails in, in, this, in the time span of three hours. These two emails were both emails of people telling me they were leaving Lakeland. Very precious families to me. Um, they had all kinds of things to say in these emails. <laughs> um, but the gist of the first email was they love Lakeland, they love the music, everyone always loves the music. Um, and the preaching, they love the people. They love the people. But they felt like we were just way too conservative for them. They were just, uh, we're just a church that just didn't get who they were. We, we landed on this conservative side to them, and then um, they didn't feel like they could bring their family or their friends. And then about three hours later, I'm not lying to you, I got another email, and on that email, the family said they were also leaving Lakeland, and they love Lakeland, and they love the people, they love the music, they love the preaching, they love their groups, they love the people. But we were just too what? Liberal. We were just too liberal for them, right? We just couldn't bring our friends here. It's just all these conservative people. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that's a good sign. And everyone's like, oh, wow, we should be one or the other. That's a good sign for Lakeland that people are thinking both things because it all belongs, guys. And those aren't the measures of belonging either. Even if they were the only measure of belonging, then it would be good that people thought both things. We need it to challenge ourselves. Um, I know that some of you guys are sitting there thinking, no, we don't. Um, so this series is about, um, a com- about building community. Our mission statement, as you can see right here, and Dan has been talking about, is to build a community of authentic followers of Christ. When you are saying, I'm on mission here at Lakeland, I am all about being a Lakelander, you are also saying, I'm about building community. We are not about building individual little Christians that go off to be their own individual selves. We are building the people of God, a community. And if we're building a community, we're building belonging. Yeah? You with me? Very good. I, even though you didn't move forward, you're not, you're still, give me back. Okay. Um, So how do we build belonging? Um, I know some of you are going to think, I'm going to say, get in a small group. (laughs) Most of you are, so I have to say that, right? Um, I am not going to say that today because it's somewhat of a myth. Actually, I'm going to say it, but I'll say it later. (laughs) I'll let Garrett say it. (laughs) Um, Proximity, getting in a small group does not create belonging, guys. It is the environment. It is a room full of people. There's something else that creates belonging. I see you guys sitting out there, and I know most of you, and some of you are new, and some of you are uh, the same seat. They're sitting in the same seat, right? I know you are. So you're sitting in the same seat, and you're probably sat around the same people every week, day in and day out. And you probably, you may or may not know them, okay? And I guarantee you, because first service is really different than second service, that you've probably met someone in Lee Summit that has said, oh, I have this great church. I love it. It's Lakeland. And you're like, wait, I go to Lakeland, (laughs) right? So the proximity and the time, those things matter because you don't know each other necessarily, 
If you go to first service, you're not going to know second service people and vice versa. You might cross over in between services, but you can both still belong, right? Actually, there's a, a gal that goes to Lakeland only through our podcast because she's very ill. And she has very strong feelings of belonging to Lakeland, even though nobody knows her. So there's a sense of belonging, even if you're not in proximity, right? Um, also, you could, so you could do either one. You can be in proximity or not, but there's something else that lends towards belonging. We said it before. Some, someone says it's relationship. Someone says it's um, language. Someone says what? What are some other things? Let's think about it, guys. Feeling understood, feeling known. Shared history. Shared history. Chris got onto that. There's a you know a nostalgic sometimes. Um, I like the '90s are a blur to me. I was raising kids and living overseas, so all these songs when they sing the '90s songs, I'm like, Chris thinks he's old, but I'm old. I don't know those songs. So. Uh, there's this shared history. Music can be it. N- knowing the same information. Um, some people are Star Wars people around here. I don't know. Okay. Um, so there's some things. I'm gonna, uh, Joseph Myers explains it in this book called The Search to Belong. That there are certain circles of belonging that we all have. These are super important for us to understand. If you've been to a newcomer's brunch or a... a new members group, you've seen these before, and if you haven't, like if you're an old-timer, you may have never even thought about this, or maybe you're still waiting to come to a um, membership class, but we talk about this a lot, and it's changed my thought on church. It's changed my thoughts on how people belong. It's, it's, it's really changed my thoughts on how America works. So the first level of belonging is called a public space. It's this very large circle that we can all belong. There can be a lot of people that belong to this space. Um, We all have a shared belonging or a shared history or shared common interest in this public space. Um, The public space could be, oh, um, America. We're all Americans, okay? Well, maybe most of us are. That has meaning to us. We share that thought. It might have individual different meanings to us, but it still has meaning to us, and it's important to us. Um, it might be the Chiefs, right? Last year, my husband and I took a long trip around the, I won't get into it, but it was Civil War battlefields. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Anyway, he has a favorite Chiefs jacket that he wears, and I mean to tell you, Everywhere we went, like in the middle of Gettysburg, New York City in the elevator, everybody was like, hey, man, Patrick. Yeah, that's a public space, right? You're a Chiefs fan. You're a public space. I was talking to Kelly about that, and she said, man, we were at a Chiefs game. You guys know Kelly Johnston. She was my assistant, and Doug Johnston, big guy. He's at the Chiefs game. He's sitting next to someone else, another big guy. There's a touchdown, I'm sure it had to do with Patrick Mahomes, I don't know. And there's a touchdown, and she says, everyone gets up, and he gets up, and this guy next to get up, and they're hugging each other, these two big guys, jumping up and down. Now, that's a shared space, right? (laughs) That is some kind of shared space. 
So what you're talking about here is a big kind of, I mean, these guys did not know each other. I'm like, did he know me? She was like, no. And I'm like, okay. Well, they bonded over a touchdown in the Chiefs. Okay, it could be about that. It could be, a, you could be very, you can identify with something that you don't know everybody in that space on. You could be a Democrat. You could be Republican. These spaces are very large, and they don't necessarily make you known. But they make you feel known because they might have a shared value. It's, this stuff is very important. This space is very important to us. Don't let me diminish it because it says that we don't necessarily know each other, or that hugging each other is a weird kind <laughs> of act on a Sunday morning at Chiefs. But there are millions of dollars put into that kind of activity, right? So this is something that's important to us. That's okay. It's great. It's great fun. It's important to be in a public belonging circle. It brings meaning. So that's a key, too, to belonging. It's something that brings meaning. And then we're going to go down to a social space. A social space is a smaller space. It's not going to be 70,000 people in Arrowhead. It's going to not going to be as big as Americans or Democratic or Republican Party. These are a smaller space of people. These are going to be people like Lakelanders. Now, you may know them. You may not. First service, second service. You may go, yeah, I know that person. Um, but you don't really know that person, right? There's not a real intimate space with them. But you know they go to Lakeland, so it says something about them. Think about what it says about them. <laughs> like, if you know that, let me know later. Um, it might say they like the music or the preaching or something like that. It may say that they like our values, something that we value here. That's a smaller space. It's a social space. Social media is social space. It tells something about you. That's why employers look up your social media thing, by the way, they always do. Young people, they always look up your social media thing. So it tells something about you. The things that you post on there, if you don't post at all, if you have a uh, great vacation in the Bahamas, people are going to see that. They're going to make assumptions about that. But it's usually your best foot forward. It's usually your best impression, usually, not always. But... Social media is that space. It tells something about you. But it doesn't tell everything, does it? Because if I posted a picture of us and our vacation at Gettysburg, it looks like we're really super happy and having fun. (laughs) Sorry, Steve. (laughs) I love history, guys. It's actually a big field. But anyway, if, if you can picture it, you're doing good. See what I mean? There's, there's some that you might assume from a picture of us that, wow, that vacation looks a like a lot of fun, depending on who you are. You might, you know, who knows? But it doesn't say everything. You guys know that. You know that social media doesn't say everything about someone. Okay, so personal space. In the personal space, you're going to know more about each other. This is where you have reciprocity. This is where you give and you take. This is where you're more vulnerable. This is where you have more information about each other. This is where you share private information and needs. You know, we never want to say that we're needy, but this is the space where you say you have a need. You've lost a job. Or maybe this is the space where you want to share great and joyful news. I got a job. Who are the first people that you would tell that to, right? That's your relational space. That's your personal space. Um, Sometimes it's your small group around here, and sometimes it's not. It might be a couple of people in your small group around here. 
That's okay. It might be people on your serving team because you know that you're not going to be able to serve if you're leaving for L.A. in three weeks. <laughs> so there are things that we tell people in this personal space that we wouldn't tell in a public space. There are, there are vulnerabilities. There are intimacies that these, um, the space needs. And this is a space that makes us feel very, very, very um, wanted and loved and belonging. Belonging happens in this space. But it's smaller, it's not going to be first service or second service, guys. It's not going to be the, even the whole of this church. It's going to be a handful of people. And then in that smaller, most intimate space, that's the space where we are considered naked. <laughs> that's really reserved, guys, for a couple people, right? Don't. <laughs> Don't be sharing all the things all the time with everyone. That's called spotlighting, right? So what you want is a very tight, best friend or spouse or someone that you can be very intimate with and trust entirely and wholly. You don't need to have all those spaces serve the same function as they do for each other. Does that make sense? So this intimate space is also the space that we want everyone to learn how to get to because this is the space that God knows you best. God is already intimately involved in you. He already knows what you look like in every mole that you have, but he most certainly knows everything that's on your heart and the things that you're worried about and the things that you love and the things that you're angry about and the things that you um, may not even share with even your spouse. So if we don't know how to be in that space, then we often don't know how to be with God. That's why it's so important to learn how to belong. Okay? All of these spaces are necessary. All of these circles of belonging have meaning. None are more important than each other. We absolutely need to belong to something greater than ourselves. We absolutely need to have public belonging. We need to have those moments where we're all cheering for the Chiefs or for our team. Those are great, great unifiers. They're wonderful unifiers for a city. The Stanley Cup in St. Louis. After all St. Louis has been through... They needed a win like that, right? And it brings the place together. That is wonderful. It brings some sort of meaning, even if you weren't a hockey player, that people can come together for a cause and get along, if even for a week or, I don't know, that Stanley Cup seemed like it lasted forever. I don't know about that. But, you know, the longer the better, I guess, of unifying. We need that. Or we're just going to be tearing each other to pieces. But here's the myth. And this is really, really the crux of these circles. The myth is that we should all stay in our own little circles and never the circles should meet. Or that we have to agree with everyone in every circle and we have to be um, the same. This is where diversity comes in, right? That, that we are able to have differing circles of people and it be okay. Or that we're having, or that the people that are in our most intimate circles don't have to share our public circles. My husband and I have canceled each other's votes on the last presidential elections through our whole, except for this last election, for 26 years of our marriage. We've canceled each other. <laughs> you know, that's public space, though. We can disagree on what things should happen and still be very, very much in an intimate relationship with each other. Yeah? We can do that here, too. Um, the other myth 
about these circles is that they stay stable and constant and that um, we can control it. And I think that's really the crux of things is that we want to control our belonging. And when people accuse us of the church of being one thing or another, what they're saying is that I'm controlling what you are so that I can feel better about belonging. And the truth is the church is a lot of things. We're a lot of, I mean, we're a lot of things, some good, some bad. But there's a lot of things in order for us to pin us into a small circle and say one thing about us. Both Lakeland and the church Catholic, whole, whole universal. So those comments that, you know, we get, it's really, really hard because I'm like, mm, we're not all that way, right? And you guys have heard it too because you've heard it through the news. Evangelicals are this and this and this and this. I'm like, I don't know anyone like that. They're not in my circles. Well, I probably do know people like that, but they're not in these circles. Um, these circles of belonging are wild. They're unkempt. They're mystical. They are something that is not controllable. They are um, fluid. If you're trying to everyone it, for it to be in your intimate circle, to be in your public circles, it's, it might happen momentarily. <laughs> But it's going to change. If you're young, you will see that the environments that you're in. By the way, I have a lot of youth front people here. So I just want to give a shout out to all the people who came to hear me preach because I'm really grateful for that. But that's a whole group of campers that we have here today that, that we partner with at Lakeland and we love. But it has a different culture than here at Lakeland. And it's both really, really great. Right? But if you're in that stage of life where you're all bonding and you're in camp, and I remember this in college, those are great, great days. Enjoy them because they change. And you can get them back, but they'll change. And the people will change, and it will be painful, and it hurts when those people change in your life. But it also means a great opportunity to meet other people that can bring great things for you. So I just want to encourage you on that one. I know it doesn't sound encouraging to say it's all going to be painful. <laughs> but it, it's, it sometimes growth is that way, and it's good. So these circles are wild, they're unkempt, they're mystical, and we can't control them. I'm going to share some scripture with you from Matthew 13. Um, this shows how little we are in control. And I think there's a real temptation for us to feel like we're in control always of everything. So in Matthew 13, in the parable of the weeds, Jesus told them another parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. And while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. And he went away and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? Does this sound familiar? An enemy did this, he replied. And the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And, that at, and at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it to my barn. Now, 
I can see why that was super confusing to an agrarian society at the time when Jesus was saying this parable. But it seems so obvious to us now when we're talking about the kingdom of God. We cannot control belonging. We can just be part of the conditions that it takes for people to grow. We can only let the Lord sort it all out. And the more that we try to control it, the worse off it usually gets. And so in later in chapter 13, I love when he explains his parables. <laughs> so it's the parable of the weeds and then it's the parable of the weeds explained. Because you know they're like, hey, can you explain that to us? So then he left the crowd and went to the house. He deci- the disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, the one who sowed this good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom. Everything that causes sin and all who do evil They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and more weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. I know this is really, really hard for universalists and people to hear these verses, to think that there are people who are in and people who are out. But guys, we want this. We don't want to live in a world where we think that the Lord is never going to exact justice on people. We want to live in a world where we can trust God to decide who is sinful and evil. And we want them to, to meet their justice. Yeah? We don't really want a world where there's no justice that is, sound, is, is sought for evil people. And yet at the same time, we don't want to be in charge of that. We do not want that control. We think we do. We think we do because we want to be certain about our own salvation. We want to be certain about how we're going to get to heaven and whether we're going to be part of that good fruit. But God says, no, guys, don't do that. By the way, you're not going to do a good job of doing that. So let me do that. He's saying, I'll Marie Kondo it all in the end, you know? If you guys don't know what that means, I'll tell you about it later. But he's going to sort it all out. We can't, and we don't want to. If we get into the business of sorting people out, we will never do it right, and we will always make mistakes because we don't know. We're not in that inner circle with people. We don't know the condition of everyone's heart. But God knows the condition because he's in that inner circle with you, and he's in that inner circle with everyone because he knows it all. We don't. We do not want the control over that. And as much as a church tries to do that, they cannot, even if they're trying. So God says, don't worry about the results. Don't worry about who's in. Don't worry about who's out. It all belongs. We are simply in charge of spreading the seeds and allowing it to grow, taking care of the conditions for it to grow. And apparently good fruit grows in the same conditions as weeds do. In the same conditions. We just are supposed to, apparently it's 100 degree weather and a ton of rain. <laughs> More in chapter 13, just to, just to keep it on with this thought. The parable of the net. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. 
When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. And this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous, and more weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not to diminish it, guys. The thing is, it's going to happen in the end. We don't have to worry about it. We are set free. And that is a wonderful thing to do, to think that we are all our evangelism, all our mission, all that we can do is, is really up to God. We just have to respond. Church is messy. Belonging is messy. All we have to do is cast a really, really wide net. Cast the net. Include everyone. Um, let God sort it out in the end. The longer that I'm involved in ministry, and it's feeling like a long time now because I just turned 50, but the longer I'm involved, the more I see that we belong well before we believe. You guys here at Lakeland are awesome at that. You make people belong well before we believe. You will see atheists at this church come every single Sunday and say, I don't believe that stuff. And we're like, why are you here? And they'll be like, because I really like you guys. I really want to be part of your mission. When I, I had a neighbor, oh, 20 years ago, who said, you know, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in any of those things. But if I did, I would go to your church. Your church is the one that I would go to. We set up things to help people belong. We're not doing children's ministry, all the things that women's ministry do, does to make your kids not belong, you know. We're not doing all the things... Uh, small groups and milestones, all the work that goes into those things, all the work that you all do, not just that, but you guys do all that work. And you serve in these ways to, to further the mission, not because necessarily we want everyone to be busier, right? We're not inviting you into something just for nothing. It's an invitation to belong. So every time you get an invitation from Lakeland, and you're so sick of that Lakeland Connect, you are getting an invitation to belong. Sometimes we go up on retreats to the Abbey, to Conception Abbey and the monks. There, they sit there, and there's probably about 50 of them, and they do this call and response. They, they pray three times a day, or maybe four times a day. And, then, and you're invited to watch or to join if you're any good. And you sit there, and you <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. They'll put up with my voice anyway. Um, and they call. They do a call and a response. So one side sings part of the prayer and the other side responds. And that's what we do. That's what we do when we take communion. That's what we do every week. That's what we do in this church at Lakeland. We give out a call. And it's, it's someone's responsibility to respond. And then once you've responded, responded and you have this grateful heart for what you've responded for then you make the call and you say hey you want to join me you cast the net along with everyone else you become part of the call and response and we'll do this in a minute when we do communion we'll do um the lord's prayer we'll do it together and then i'll as a celebrant say you know servers come forward and i have my part and you say christ is risen all you know we have that part where we go back and forth for some reason, it's escaping my brain, but I'll get it right in a minute. It's a call and response. You guys, when you respond, you do something to respond. You can't ghost if you show up, right? You have to show up, and you have to also invite. This is both that way. It's messy. People won't always respond. 
Um, you can do it in all kinds of ways. But um, we're not knocking ourselves out here at church for nothing. We're knocking ourselves out to help you guys belong. And you guys are knocking yourselves out and doing a really good job at doing that. So thank you for doing that. So a lot of you guys know that um, we have been fighting cancer in our family. And one of the things that that has taught us, it's taught us a lot of things. But one of the things that it's taught us is that there's really um, not a whole lot of time to worry about who's mad and who disagrees about things. There's just not enough time in the world to bicker over things that don't really matter. Um, it's, it's a hard lesson and yet a good one to learn. And one of the most grateful things that I have is for my children and my children to have a place that they belong because that's always really what you worry about, right? And my kids have not, again, cards on the table, they have not always belonged here. They've not always felt like they were completely welcome. It's tough being a pastor's kid, although Nate has milked it for all that he is, it's worth. <laughs> um, but it's not always easy to be in that limelight. Um, by the way, every, every time I mention the kids' names, I'll give them a dollar. <laughs> Kelly told me that, <laughs> that she got a dollar every time. That, so I have to give her a dollar too, the Johnstons. Um, but I'm not giving you one, Garrett. <laughs> the thing that it teaches us is that, um, the thing that's, that we've learned is that it's not always easy. It's not always, I'm great. But when you feel like you belong, you know it. And uh, my kids have been raised here. And they, and again, you know, it, through the, all the, oh, he said this, she said that. I'm, I don't have any friends here. Whatever the case would be. We have gone through the ups and downs on this. And my daughter's 24, my son's 21 now. And I know people are watching out for them. And there's no greater belonging than that. And so I'm going to end with a story. Um, I, my daughter just had this interview with a pretty prestigious university, and she graduated with her master's. And I mean, this church, when they found out about it, they stepped into action. One person's like, let me send me your resume. I'll take a look at it. And another person was like, hey, I'll do a mock interview. And did a mock interview over the phone for like two hours. And then the elders are praying for her. And, you know, we love her. She's sharp and everything. But Steve and I are like, she's not going to get this job. <laughs> but it'll be a good experience, right? Oh, Haley, it'll be great. Just go ahead and, you know, just get your practice in. It was her, her first interview. People are praying for her, and people are asking her about it, and people are talking about it, and then there's a whole vote on her interview outfit. Like, you know, she's sending pictures to the group about what she should wear, and everyone is for her on this, and she has an intense interview, more intense interview than anything I have ever endured for a job. And she came back, and she said, well, I think I did about as good as I could, and she got the job. And then people started pulling together, and she's got the Zung's um, coffee table, and she got a couch, and she's just, I mean, like, she's set, you know? And the day that she called me, and she got the job, um, it was in my office, and then Kelly, my assistant, was there, my former assistant, and she, um, so she got the job, and we're just sitting there kind of like, oh, my gosh, now she's going to move. And everyone knew what it meant, because it's a joyful moment. But the, the minute your baby leaves the house, it's a big deal. And this one's permanent, right? Because in college, I thought, oh, she'll be back. <laughs> She's not going to be back this time. So it's a big deal. It's a big deal because we know what time means in our family. 
And so Garrett says to me, oh, how's mom doing? And I'm like, (gasps) lost it. Then he loses it. He's bawling. And then Jason, if you know Jason, he comes in and he goes, what's going on? Because Kelly, she lost it first. (laughs) What's going on? And then he says, she got the job. He knew because we're not, you know. Then he starts crying. So we pull it together, and we go till I go to lunch. I come back, and I see Chris talking to Jason. I got out of the bathroom. I go to the bathroom, and while I'm in the bathroom, I hear Chris say, Marta! I'm like, oh, they told him about Haley. And so I come out, and Chris is crying. <laughs> guys, these are guys I work with. We don't, I mean, we don't call each other every day or text, you know. We're in this personal space with each other but they're people I work with and to be quite honest as an elder I can power up on any any of these guys and make them do something make them show up to something but guess what I cannot make them care that kind of caring about my kid is belonging right it's not about um being a boss or proximity because we all stay I mean some of it is about that or about longevity. It's about caring for each other and being known. And they knew what that moment was, both a joyful moment and a painful one. It's all in there. Do you see how it's messy? Creating belonging isn't a chore. It's not a task to do assigned by God. It's out of a response of a grateful heart that once we were outside and now we aren't. That once our kids were outside, and now they belong. That's a grateful response. When you see that kind of caring, then you want to extend that to someone else. You want that for everyone. That's what mission is. That's what building a community is. I'm going to leave you with a verse that I love that exemplifies this. It's in 1 Peter. It says, and this is to you. This is to you, church. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, that now you have received mercy. When you know this and you belong so deeply, you cannot help but declare the praises of who he is. When you belong to God, this happens. Amen.